Hello, everybody, and welcome to In-Depth, presented by the San Antonio Express News. My name is Luis Vasquez, and I'll be your host as we bring in journalists, editorial board members, and columnists to give us an inside perspective into the stories they bring to the Express News each week. Today, I'm joined by UTSA sports reporter Greg Luca. He joins the show to talk about the UTSA football program's historic season. Welcome back to the show, Greg. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Luis. Thank you for having me. It'll be fun to kind of recap what a crazy journey it's been, especially the last few weeks since we last talked. So much has happened since we last, even when we last talked, I remember we had to like do an update <laughs> right, before right. we even released the episode. It's we just do- constantly moving. It's it's crazy. So the first thing I want to talk about is we left off. There was four games left on the season. There was talk about an undefeated season that was spoiled. Let's talk about that first and only loss. Yeah. So this was 45 to 23 at North Texas in the last game of the regular season. UTSA came in 11 and 0. And I think the situation that they always point to is that North Texas was just a lot more hungry to win that game. They were the desperate team. Or as uh, Coach Jeff Trailer said, UTSA came in as the prosperous team. Not that they were like feeling themselves too much or anything, but they just didn't have the same edge that North Texas had because North Texas needed that win. To be bowl eligible, they were playing what could have been the last game for all of their guys if they didn't win it. Their coach was kind of on the hot seat, and there was a whole lot of different factors that meant this was such a much bigger game for them than it was for UTSA, which is crazy because UTSA is playing for this historic achievement of going 12-0. and 0 And then it really kind of fell apart pretty early just because with the weather conditions, it was kind of wet and certainly cold by Alamo Dome standards. And uh, Frank Harris, the quarterback for UTSA, just really couldn't get a good hold of the ball. He fumbled a couple times and had some errant passes. And then UTSA, they fumbled the kickoff and they fumbled the punt. And all three of those got turned into touchdowns. So North Texas built a big lead and they're a really strong running team as well. So then once you have that lead and you can play from ahead and you can just keep running the ball and kind of run the clock that way and control the game on the ground, it became impossible for UTSA to mount any kind of a rally there. So I think it was just kind of a, a one-off bad performance for them. And it's kind of remarkable that they went lot, that long through the year without running into one of those. Since we didn't get to talk, what was that What was that feeling? We know that what happened afterwards, we're, we're at now, but what was the feeling uh, around the locker room after that loss? Yeah, it's tough because obviously they always preach that they don't want to get too high after wins. And so then conversely, they say they don't want to get too low after losses. And that's pretty standard cliche football stuff. But this belief in their culture and the way that they do things is sort of what's made this team overachieve to the extent that it has. So with them, I tend to believe all of that kind of cliche stuff a lot more than I do uh, with a lot of other teams I've covered in the past or with a lot of other programs around the country. So they also didn't really have too much time to dwell on it because that game was on the road on a Saturday and then they have the Conference USA Championship game was coming up on a Friday. So it's a little bit of a short week and they have to just get a jump start on looking ahead to the next thing and trying to win that first conference championship, which was the goal from the outset of the year and probably a bigger game for them than that that North Texas game would have been. I think it was mentioned in one of these articles because you've written extensively on this. Extensively, yeah. It's been a long year. (laughs) (laughs) This this was something that they were looking forward to, but it feels like they were ahead uh, of their development. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. I mean, from when Coach Jeff Trailer came in, they were two the years before that they were three and nine and they were four and eight. So there was not this expectation that they were going to come in and, and turn it around right away and immediately become one of the top teams in Conference USA and compete for a championship and be nationally ranked and all these things that they'd never done before. So to go 
from that four win season to then seven and five last year was already an overachievement and already a bigger jump. And if they had just repeated that this year, that would have been a fine season. But then what ended up unfolding this year was so beyond what anybody's expectations could have been, even the most optimistic UTSA fan. And I actually, I asked on Twitter this week, is there anybody out there who can prove to me that they, they predicted 12 wins or anything close to this before the year? And, you know, some of the most optimistic fans will dig up their, their little forum posts of 10 wins or something like that. But I don't think I saw anything close to this 12. So really impressive by everybody's standards. So this one loss is not anything that's going to derail the momentum that they have or kind of put too much of a, a mark on the year. And so let's talk about the the Conference USA Championship. That I mean, they were leading 42 to 13 like 5 minutes into the third quarter you right here. Like so it it, it seems like they came straight back to, to they came back to form. Yeah, this was a very crazy game the whole way through honestly. And you mentioned that they jumped out to that that 42 to 13 lead and it came down to Sincere McCormick's performance in this game was off the charts. The running back from Judson ran for 200 yards and three touchdowns, and he ended up being the the game's MVP. And he really helped them kind of take control of the game and build this lead in the first half. And then in the second half, they kind of benefited from some of the same things that hurt them the week before. Uh, Western Kentucky muffed a punt, and UTSA recovered and turned it into a touchdown. And then uh, they, they were able to get an interception close to to Western Kentucky's end zone and then punch that one in as well. And so that's how I got to 42-13. But there was a natural tendency at that point for a lot of fans and people who have maybe followed UTSA very closely but don't know that much about Western Kentucky to say, oh, this one's over, this is a blowout. And you see that, you know, with the media people too. But this Western Kentucky team is the leading passing offense in the nation for a reason. And we just saw the week before when they played against Marshall – they scored six points in the first half, and then they came back and scored 47 points in the second half. So certainly being down by that margin is pretty daunting, but they're, if any team can make it up, they can. And you saw that with how they went to work. And there was maybe one tiny stretch where UTSA got a little bit conservative and kind of didn't punch a, punch them out or extend the lead the way they could have. But Western Kentucky's just so strong that they were going to find a way to get back into it. And so... We saw that it really did come down to the final couple of series there and that Western Kentucky was able to take a couple shots at the end zone at the end to win it. But UTSA holds on 49-41. And we talked about Sincere McCormick, but man, all over the field, people stepped up. The The passing game with Frank Harris was a huge rebound from the week before and Frank got it done on the ground as well. And all the receivers, Zakari Franklin, DeCorian Clark and Joshua Cephas, they didn't really put up the huge numbers, but... Franklin especially made some crazy catches and then Clark went up over a guy and was able to pull in a really tough contested touchdown catch. So you just saw an all around buy-in and rebound from even guys that we thought were kind of banged up and kind of limping towards the finish. Like the offensive line has had some struggles keeping everybody on the field. And when you see the offense be as productive as they were in this game, the, the amount that they were able to just control the play up front and kind of neutralize Western Kentucky's defensive front made a huge difference too. So it was just an all-around, especially offensively, showing for UTSA that was such a turnaround from the week before, and it's why they deserve to be conference champions. Yeah, I mean, Harris's stat line, 18 of 28, 218 yards, two touchdowns, 81 yards, and a score on the ground. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. And it's crazy because the last time that they played Western Kentucky, he threw six touchdown passes and he caught another one, which was a career high for him. And in this game, Western Kentucky was not going to let that happen again. So they had a lot of people on defense playing back. They played especially one really, really deep safety pretty much the whole game. And that allowed 
Sincere McCormick to have the success that he had on the ground and Frank to work a lot of these underneath stuff where that's not the highest yards per completion like we saw in the first game, but it, but it was just kind of taking what the defense gives you, as they always say, and and that's why they were able to come through. So it was a really good uh, example of coaching, too, just to make the tactical adjustments to be ready for how Western Kentucky was going to do things differently. Yeah, and the resilience to see them coming back up and not losing focus and eventually win the game. I think that's that's something to be said, too. Yeah, and I mean, they, they gave up probably 600 yards of offense. I guess it was a little bit less than that. And the quarterback, Bailey Zappi, for Western Kentucky threw for 577, but they actually didn't run for anything. So certainly when you give up that many yards, there's a couple of things you could have done differently on defense. But again, that's partly the way Western Kentucky plays. And then UTSA came up with the big defensive stops when they needed them here and there. And Western Kentucky is also going to feel like they kind of let this one slip away. I think they're probably going to feel like they lost the game as much as UTSA won it. They had a couple uh, snaps that went over the quarterback's head and killed drives. And then they had the the interception that Zappi threw that led to an easy touchdown. And they also had that muffed punt that I mentioned earlier. So if they had kind of eliminated a lot of the mistakes on their end, it would have been very interesting to see how this one would have played out. The teams were, I thought they were just like dead even on the field. So it was going to be come down to who made those mistakes or who made those big plays when they needed to. And it just happened. It was UTSA on that day. Definitely a war of attrition there. And so can you talk to me about the atmosphere uh, at the Alamo Dome? Yeah, it was remarkable. They had 41,000 people there, and that's the third highest attendance in the history of the program. And everybody who has sort of had this conversation about what it was like in there, they look back on this one moment, and I I don't remember if it was the third or fourth quarter, but it happened very organically that as uh, the teams were lining up for a kickoff, just some fan, you know, put up their cell phone light, and then everybody in the building did it, and it became this kind of a, a light show, or however you want to call it, like you might see at a concert or whatever else. And, and the players, you know, they said they were kind of in awe of it, and Coach Trailer said he thought it was like almost a turning point in the game. I think it was probably more of a coincidence than anything, but that was where UTSA put a big drive together after that to kind of seal the win. So, yeah, it was crazy in there, and it was extremely loud. The people on the the broadcast team, like the sideline reporter, was saying it's as loud as a venue as she's ever been in in her career doing this sort of thing. Because you know you're going to get these games in the SEC or whatever where they draw 90,000 people, but there's not that closed environment like you get in the Alamo Dome where the sound is just trapped in there and just kind of reverberates. And so what you can create with, with the people there is two or three times louder than, than what a person can do outdoors. And so that's how you end up creating these challenges in Western Kentucky, I think dealt with it pretty well for the most part. It, you can debate whether those errant snaps had to do with kind of being uncomfortable or being off your usual cadence, but they had basically plans to be able to snap the ball without the usual verbal communication. And they only had, they had three false starts, which is pretty significant, but for the most part, it felt like they were able to operate pretty cleanly. So the impact was there, maybe not as much as it was against UAB when we saw a ton of issues in that game. And man, it's just crazy to think that obviously last year was the COVID year. So that doesn't really count, but the year before that, I was writing a story about this trend of declining attendance and season ticket numbers are going down and the student engagement wasn't all there. And it's just this year, I guess when you win 11 games in a row, this is the kind of thing that happens. But the the way the city has rallied around this team and the way the students have become engaged in it, they had, I think they overflowed the student section. I believe it was like sold out and they had to start putting them into other parts of the building. And, you know, it was the first time that the upper deck was open because I think the lower bowl capacity is like 36,000 or something like that. And so they had a significant amount of people in one of those upper deck sections that usually can stay closed and they usually have a curtain over it. So just we'll see how that translates to next year, the next time they're in the Alamo Dome. 
uh, Houston's coming to town for the season opener next year. So that's going to be, you know, you would think that between UTSA's fans being riled up about the year that they had and Houston being a pretty easy travel and any kind of rivalry that exists there, who knows what kind of number they'll put up for that one. So it's pretty exciting times for the fan base, as you can see, just with the engagement and the turnout and the noise that they're making. The all-conference USA teams, I mean, Sincere McCormick, the first team offense, Zachary Franklin, uh, Spencer Buford, and then on defense, Lawrence Hick, uh, Clarence Hicks, Rashad Wisdom. A special teams made it like all across the board. Uh, I think there's 11 total players from UTSA that made the All Conference USA teams. Yeah, they put six guys on the first team, which uh, matches Western Kentucky for the most in the league, and they had 11 between the first and second teams. And, you know, by the time people listen to this, I believe on Wednesday, they're going to announce Coach of the Year, which will almost certainly be Trailer. And then uh, given that Frank Harris ended up on the second team, I don't imagine that he'll be in the mix for, for Offensive Player of the Year, but he might because they could put... Western Kentucky's quarterback Zappi as the MVP and then Harris could get offensive player of the year or they could look to Sincere McCormick or, you know, they're both in the mix for that. And then I think Clarence Hicks, who you mentioned, has a pretty good case to be defensive player of the year. So we'll see how the big the big awards come together. But already they're getting a ton of recognition here and, and something that, you know, they've had a couple guys. You make the team every year. They always try to get every team represented, but nothing like nothing like what we're seeing now. And that's a testament to how all of these guys have developed, I think. That's one of the keys to the season that I think we talked about last time was Trailer and his staff have taken these guys who were recruited under Frank Wilson. And, you know, a lot of them came in with a pretty good pedigree. They're obviously very good athletes, and especially guys like McCormick and Spencer Burford, who you mentioned, had the opportunity to go play somewhere else just based on their talent. But McCormick and Burford, both being locals, they chose to stay here and play here. And that's the same case with uh, Rashad Wisdom, safety, who was on the first team, and, and Hunter Duplessis, the kicker, who uh, was also a first-team selection. All kind of San Antonio area guys who chose to stay here, and they were rewarded as this coaching staff came in and really helped all of them kind of raise their game to the highest level it could get to. And before we talk about the, um, the upcoming games, I also want to – because UTSA took – I mean, rightfully so, they, they kind of sucked the oxygen out of the room here, but UIW football, not, not too shabby – yeah, absolutely. It was their best season ever, I think, by a long shot to win to win ten games and man that game against Sam Houston. I mean, they, yeah. it's a tough it's a tough yes. draw to have to go on the road and face the number one team in the SCS. But what a what a game it turned out to be! And U, UIW was basically one yard away from winning it. It was like fourth and six or something like that in the final 20 seconds or so. And they snap it to Cam Ward at quarterback and he goes up the middle on a scramble and just comes one yard shy. And so Sam Houston holds on. And the crazy thing is they were down by, they were down by seven at that point. And I can absolutely guarantee you they would have gone for two if they scored and just tried to win it right there. Cause like, especially being the underdog as well as they play on offense and being on the road, they were going to go for the win in that scenario. And with how potent their offense is, it's it's a probably better than 50% chance they would have got it. And then imagine if they knock off the number one team. But already it was their best year ever to win the outright Southland title for the first time, to win the most games they've ever won, to be able to host a playoff game for the first time at Benson Stadium, to win the playoff game for the first time Weren't at Benson like Stadium. Were they like 6-0 at home? Yeah, I think so. I think that's correct. They were, they were really, really strong in that venue. And I think there's just some comfort level that comes with that. Cause you know, obviously it's not the loudest environment. They, <laughs> I think it's only a few thousand capacity there and they don't always fill that up 
especially because they had uh, COVID regulations still for most of the season where they were operating at 50%. But it's just that comfort level of being in your on your turf in the place where you practice every day. They always kind of delivered. And especially because of the way the league is set up and the budgets of a lot of these teams, a lot of these schools, even if they're from Louisiana, they might be taking a long bus trip there. And so it's just uncomfortable to have to make that travel in that league. And so that's why you see a lot of teams are much better at home than on the road, but they capitalize especially. Now, we say all of the positive to then get to uh, Coach Eric Morris. It came out a couple hours after that game against Sam Houston that he's taking the job at Washington State to be the offensive coordinator. So that has the potential to change absolutely everything for them because this program was was basically nowhere before he arrived. And he led a huge turnaround to get them a share of the Southland title in their first playoff berth during his first season in 2018. And then it's just kind of been a building process. The last two years were pretty middling, but then it was all setting up for this year where they exploded in the way that they did. So it'll remain to be seen who they can hire and how that process plays out. I think it just became official yesterday. We kind of knew about it Sunday, but it'll, it'll remain to be seen who they can hire and if that person can either continue the trajectory or if they have to kind of reset a little bit, you know, which players choose to stay, which players might want to transfer out as well, just based on the change. And so it's, it's a really lot up in the air, but one of the things that I, w- I remember a few weeks ago, I did a story, you know, ironically on the, the growth and the future of the program and Coach Morris's trajectory here because he signed a five-year contract uh, before the season. So, you know, theoretically, UIW is going to get a nice little buyout just because they had recently extended him. But the point being, when I talked to him a couple of weeks ago about sort of what are the next steps for the program, he said, you know, the thing now is when people come here, you know, A, they've heard of the place. And they have a they have a signature because of this high powered air raid offense that people understand like this is a team that's going to play this way and it's an exciting thing to be a part of. We saw they they brought in a receiver Taylor Grimes as a transfer from Illinois State during the off season and he set program records this year for receiving yards and receiving touchdowns and I believe receptions too if I'm not wrong. So basically the point is you know people are going to look at this place and say that's a place i want to be and you know a lot of that changes without morris there but what doesn't change is you can say look we we produced the fcs freshman of the year last year in cam ward and we have these two south and conference championship trophies and we have this whatever you get for winning a first round playoff game and you could like there's a trophy case now where before it was just you're kind of selling an idea so even if the guy who helped lead them to that stuff is not here anymore there's a little bit more that you can sell when you're when you're recruiting to UIW or trying to find a coach to, to coach at UIW. Okay. Let's go back to UTSA and the Frisco bowl. And there was a little bit of, um, let's say just controversy about how UTSA landed the Frisco bowl and, and something to do with ESPN. Yeah. So to kind of set the stage, you know how this works with the national media. There's all these bowl projections all year long of, you know, what kind of matchups they envision. And as UTSA won more and more games, they started to get projected to either the Independence Bowl against BYU, which is a top 15 team, if I'm not mistaken, and would have been a pretty, pretty impressive game to be a part of. And then also the New Orleans Bowl. And, you know, the the Independence Bowl gets played at Independence Stadium in Shreveport, which is like 50,000 people, I think. And the New Orleans Bowl gets played at the Superdome, which is obviously a, a huge audience. And instead of ending up in one of those, Selection Sunday comes around and UTSA is slotted into the Frisco Bowl uh, against San Diego State, which is a fine opponent. I mean, San Diego State is ranked in the CFP top 25. But the thing that I think people were probably upset about is, first of all, they were selected to the Frisco Bowl last year when they went 7-5. and five. And 
that game never got played because it was a COVID issue within SMU's program, who was their would-be opponent. So they had to kind of figure out a new game and they ended up in the first responder role. But the the point remains that if you go seven and five and you get in one bowl, you would think that if you go 11 and one or it's 12 and one with the conference championship, that you're going to end up in an even better game. And for that to not come together and instead you get slotted into this game that's on a, on a Tuesday night in Frisco in a stadium for, for 17,000 people essentially where, you know, these other games have these much bigger stadiums and these much bigger potential audiences. I forget which one of them is on ABC which is obviously a bigger audience than the Frisco Bowls on ESPN. So there's a lot of different reasons that you would want a different game than where they ended up. Um, but the reason it came together that way is because... I think it was the Independence Bowl was broadcast on ABC. Right. Thank you. So the reason it came together that way was because there is an agreement between Conference USA and ESPN, but more specifically ESPN Events, which is this grouping of 18 bowl games that is kind of owned and operated and run by ESPN. And that agreement says that ESPN events gets the first pick from the league when it comes time to figure out who's playing what bowl games against who. So instead of UCSA being able to go to the independence bowl or the new Orleans bowl, which are not ESPN events games, they had to be involved with one of the 11 ESPN events games that are connected to Conference USA. And even that's kind of complicated because Conference USA has like a rotating selection of games that they may or may not end up in every year because the different leagues work with ESPN to make the best matchups. And it's such a complicated system. And a lot of it happens kind of, kind of in the shadows, not to make it sound any more shady than it is, but it's, it's hard to understand why a lot of these things work out the way they did. And I was fortunate that, I was able on Monday to figure out from ESPN and from Conference USA that that this is indeed a situation where ESPN had the first selection and used it on UTSA and that that's the policy that's been on the books for, I'm actually not sure how long, but at least for this season, that's how it operates. And and that's how you end up in this spot where UTSA is going to Frisco. And, you know, it'll be fine. I mean, they're going to sell out the stadium and it's, I think CBS did a ranking of like, what are the best bowl games out of all, however many of them there are now. And UTSA came in seventh, which is really impressive because you think about there's six of those New Year's New Year's games that are highly impressive with the playoff semifinals and all of that. So to be that highly regarded says a lot about the strength of the matchup and, and what kind of a game we can expect. And, you know, as long as UTSA fans can get out of work to, to make that drive up there on a Tuesday, <laughs> I think it'll be a fun time. So there's not too much to complain about, but I just know that people probably got excited about a weekend in New Orleans or whatever, much more so than this Tuesday in Frisco. And so what can we expect from UTSA? Is this a game that they're projected to win? Is this going to be a much more tighter game? Yeah, I think it'll be very close. I don't know a whole lot about San Diego State to this point, to be honest, but I think it was a two and a half point projection in favor of UTSA. And, you know, San Diego State got blown out in their conference championship game, but I think they were down about 20 players due to a, a COVID outbreak within their program. So presumably that'll be cleared up by the time that they get to this bowl game and then they'll be more at full strength and it'll be the team that we saw all season that that earned a place in the in the national rankings. So it should be a fun game. They actually have a this is like the weirdest thing to highlight, but they have like the best punter in college football. I mean, I forget his name. Uh, it's like it's like Ariza or something like that. But he I, he kicks these like 70 or 80 yard punts like it's what? unbelievable. So you should YouTube it. I mean, I wish I could tell you how to spell his name and then you could YouTube it better. But if you Google San Diego State punter, you'll get there. And uh, and so that's weirdly the punter is the only guy that I know about at this point. But I'll have a lot better knowledge base by the time the game rolls around. 
He had an 81 yard punt. <laughs> there you go. What's his name again? I got it. We can get it right. We have time. His name is Matt Ariza. Wow. 81. Yes. And punt. some of these, some of these, and it's like, you, you know, a lot of guys get these 80 something, whatever punts where it like bounces and rolls away, but he's literally just blasting the ball. It's crazy to watch. So that's your, that's one of your NFL guys from this game. Usually, again, I would never highlight the puncher usually, but this is a very rare situation. Well, that's awesome. Uh, was there anything else I'm missing? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's going to unfold with signing day next week. It'll be interesting to see how many guys they bring in because, you know, one of the factors for every team this year was with the COVID year, all of the guys who were seniors last year had the opportunity to come back for an extra season this year. And the idea was as long as the school could find the scholarships for them, they could come back and, and play an extra year. Now, that option still exists that the guys who are, you know, fourth year seniors this year can come back next year. However, the catch is you the, the roster now has to be under that 85 scholarship limit from before. So the every team across the country is going to be grappling with this, but it's how do we fit five classes of guys technically into four classes worth of scholarships. So, you know, I think there's probably some teams out there that are going to get a little weird with NIL stuff to try to get guys some money to make sure that they can bring back as many players as they want. And I don't know if UTSA will have that same flexibility or that many teams will have that same flexibility. I'm not saying they're going to be at a, at a disadvantage necessarily, but they have to figure out how many of those guys who are seniors this year, do they want to bring back versus clearing up those spots for freshmen. And obviously this team like succeeding as much as it did, there's a pretty good argument to be made that let's bring back a lot of these guys who are key contributors here and, and kind of run it back again. But you also do want to be kind of setting yourself up to to have that long-term stability and get a lot of youth into the program that can keep this going for years to come. So that'll be an interesting thing to watch is how the roster shakes out. But more than anything, I think it's just a, a good time to, for UTSA fans and supporters to celebrate just what they've accomplished and how far the program has come. Like the the thing that I think is interesting is for so many years, the story season after season was, is this going to be a team that reaches bowl eligibility? Because they had only been to, last year was their second bowl game. This year will be their third and they've never won one. So the bar was to get to six and six and be bowl eligible and and potentially win that first bowl game. That was the goal that you set out with pretty much every year. And I can't imagine the next time that that's going to be an acceptable baseline. You know what I mean? Like once you go 11 and one and you're nationally ranked, people expect that you're at least in the eight and four, nine win range, whatever it may be. So the, the standard here has certainly raised and now they're going to be playing up to that, which is, you know, a challenge for the coaches and for the players, but it's something that fans can celebrate knowing that this program is at a place where that is a kind of reasonable expectation. Yeah, uh, I agree. Once you raise that bar, people that's what people are going to expect. But uh, I'm sure we're going to have way, way more to talk about. You're going to be even busier next year, I bet. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how it plays out there. Always, There's always so many surprises. Every time you think something is easy, like, oh, we're going to have a bowl selection and it'll be pretty drama free. And then suddenly it's like, wait, why are they in this game? And we have to go figure this out. And so it's like everything that's happened this season has been more than you expected. You know, the bye week ended up being the week that that Texas Tech opened up and they were working on Jeff Trailer's contract. So there was, you know, no rest there for anybody. And and it's like, they, you know, they had a conference change this year and there's always been something going. So it'll be hard to match the craziness of this season, but they'll, they'll find a way, I'm sure. All righty, Greg. Thanks a lot for uh, joining the show. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime. <laughs>